Welcome to the Raindrop Corner Podcast, an affirming space for people who seek to enrich the human experience. This is a place where real-life superheroes and creatives get to share their magic without censorship, and I'm your host, Kay, and this week's guest was Duke Lott, and Duke Lott is one of those people that when he's passionate about something or passionate about work someone's doing, he can go from, you know, just this cool guy that you know to being your biggest cheerleader, and I love that about him. He truly is a champion in all the spaces that he occupies. Uh, Duke is a motivational speaker, he is a certified crisis instructor, and he is also an author, and he talks about navigating his childhood, specifically the abuse that happened in his childhood, and going from someone who was very passive and reserved to someone who was much more comfortable with advocating and speaking up for people um, who have gone through abuse and just empowering men to be more expressive in general. So I sincerely hope that you all enjoy this episode and without further ado, here's an ode to our guest. My breath was shaky, a sputtering burst of air, uneven, my chest heaving. I painted delusions on my walls, shapes and words, ones that rushed my ears, muting my canvas, wooden cloth that reality ripped apart. Ghosts flourished here, eating at the remains of a silent cry. My eyes would always envelop them, the ghosts, dismiss them with a glance to the television, to colliding colors of a basketball game. I can run just as fast as them, I can shoot just as good as them. I have a good head on my shoulders. My family loves me, and they really do. I'll be okay. A familiar touch that lingered too long. Raised voices, lifted hands, and contorted faces serve as a bullet. A rupture to a boy's brain. The truth leaves a scar after it mutilates. It is flesh torn away. Family pictures and utterings of I'm okay shattered against the foreground of cookouts and unspoken words. I'm a man now. I am relied on. I am a father, a husband. I am flopping around with a destination in mind. I am in a cycle with a light at the exit. The bout of roulette is a high, not as scary as the one that derailed me, but still scary as the boy who wasn't okay back then as the man who seeks to actually be okay. I think I'm okay. And today, I have Duke Lott with me. Duke, outside of being a motivational speaker, you have a long history in the nonprofit sphere. You are an entrepreneur. You are a writer. You also have a formidable history in just like managerial and other fun facets in the industry that has connected you with like a myriad of different people. So I'm excited to talk to you today. I think something that I really wanted to do when I spoke to you, because just seeing the work you do, you're so full of life and zeal and you make, I don't know, like I'm just, I'm gonna share this with y'all because it just kind of speaks to Duke's character. So I listened to a podcast episode that Duke was featured on, on a completely different show. This man reached out to me, hyped my stuff up, and we developed like this really cool rapport where we were just talking to each other. And, you know, in that podcast episode, you shared a lot about your journey with recovery and addiction and also 
why you do what you do for the community and also for yourself as well. So I want to go back a little bit. So tell me, as a child, what was Duke like? What were... What were your passions when you were a boy? Say, let's go all the way back to like seven, eight, nine, ten, if you will. Okay. Well, um, my passion was definitely something I, one of the only things I learned from my father, and that was basketball. He liked that, and that was his thing. And um, the little bit of time that we had together, he definitely made sure that uh, that was something that I learned to like. Um, but besides that, I was really into uh, English. I was into um, writing, and I was into putting down my thoughts, and I was a very active kid. Um, I was shy. Um, I was. Uh, I went through some, you know, some childhood trauma that made me really shy. Um, so sometimes I was a loner, um, but I always had friends. But I always had a, a, a small select different kind of friends, mm-hmm. you know, so I was uh, the kid that was very energetic, but I was shy and uh, I was very uh, 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 closed off and to a lot of people because um, I grew up in a single parent home and I carried that stigma with me mm-hmm. of my dad not being around and uh, my childhood was uh, great. Um, and the fact that I had a great grandfather mm-hmm. and, um, he, he was like, you know, he took me under his wing and taught me a lot of things. He was a, a Marine and a very strong world person. And he let me see a different side of life. So I'm very thankful for that. What was your favorite thing in terms of what he instilled in you during that time? Uh, well, he instilled hard work. Um, he instilled that. Uh, working hard can um, uh, lead to better uh, choices in life as far as uh, trying to escape uh, the inner city and poverty. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, my grandfather was a guy, I remember one story I have is that I was at school one time because I went to go live with him mm-hmm. in, my, in my life. And uh, one time I was in school and I forgot to make my bed. My grandfather called the school, said he was coming up there to get me so I could go back to his home, to our home, and uh, make my bed, and then he'll take me back to school. So um, he was pretty uh, a stickler about the rules. My childhood was a mixed bag of emotions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I tell you, I mean, I, I um, on my mother's side, we were really um, uh, poor, and on my, uh, my dad's side, very upper middle class, upper class. Um, so I got the balance of going back and forth from one environment to the next, to my grandfather living on a golf course, to being right back smack dab in the middle of the ghetto. And um, so it was it was very interesting. I definitely saw two sides and um, dabbled in, in both. And sometimes when you have a big family, um, there's a lot of things that happen, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of... Uh, you know, random things. And um, so, yeah, that's part of my story. And just speaking as somebody from that came from a single parent household, a lot of times, like when a kid is navigating that, you, you're going through things that the standard household doesn't necessarily have to deal with. 
So in ways, it kind of feels like it puts a wall between you and some of the other kids that you're around. But now, like you said, you were always energetic. How did you bridge that gap between being someone who's shy to being someone who was not only able to speak on someone's stage or on someone's Zoom call? Playing sports, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was the way I got to hide um, my emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was one of those kids that if someone asked you if you were okay, um, yeah, I'm okay, I'm doing great. But on the inside, I really know that I'm hurting mm-hmm. and... You know, I feel invisible. I feel like no one sees me. Um, but at the same time, I, I can hide with, you know, getting good at something and, you know, trying to balance that emotion of, of okay, I'm fine and, I, and I'm good at this, but you don't know that I'm hurting. So um, I learned from a young age to try to uh, hide my emotions mm-hmm. and definitely, um, not speak on things that were uh, happening. We had this thing called family business, you know, it's things that happen mm-hmm. within the family, they stay in the family. And, and you know, sometimes that's good, I guess, but, you know, for in my experience, it, it was bad. You know, it was um, uh, uh, bottled up emotions that were um, eventually had to come out some way. And, um, they came out good sometimes and sometimes they came out bad. You feel like you didn't communicate them as much because the conversation was stopped as a child within your family? Or do you feel like you were just kind of afraid of what would happen based off of other experiences within the family you'd seen? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, a mixture of both, you know, mm-hmm. and um, definitely one of those things where if you're not careful, you become ashamed. Um, mm-hmm. I went through a stage in my life where, you know, it was very um, confusing to me because I didn't know who I was for a minute, you know. And um, sometimes when you're a young um, man or young a, a young boy, you go through um, childhood abuse, whether it's verbal, physical, um, uh, mental, and sometimes you don't know who you are, you mm-hmm. know, and. Um, so there was times in my life that I had to ask myself, hey, do I do I like guys or, you know, a- am I just that, you know, why is this happening to me? You know, that's what I used to ask myself. Like, why is this happening to me? Do I do I give off that energy? Do I say, OK, well, this is OK with me. So, yeah, when you're going through it, it's definitely um that balance of you know you don't want to hurt people in the family too and um so i'm a i'm definitely a survivor of abuse and one of uh the main things that my abuser would say to me is that uh uh don't tell nobody and if you tell somebody they're not going to believe you anyway so um uh if you're telling me we're going to have problems it 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 became a, a a normal thing it became normal. And it's it's rough, especially when there's the stigma that are placed specifically on black boys, black men, black teenagers of when you're male that you need to you need to man up. You need to suck it up. You know, guys yeah. don't cry. You you don't you just brush it off and you keep going. And there yeah. is this dismissal that at the end of it, we're all humans and we all feel things and we all have a right to be treated 
with respect and when that respect is breached especially by somebody who's who should be in that circle of trust somebody who is connected to you as a family member member or mentor friend or partner whoever it may be it makes it even harder because it completely shakes your world and your beliefs on you know what love looks like and how it should translate yes so the one thing i i do um would like to express is that um i was able to transform the things that i am able to do now through um through therapy through speaking out um and through just you know i had to find myself i had to you know go deep down because for a long time i wouldn't acknowledge that i was depressed and that I was hurting. And uh, through that process of growing and getting better and reaching out for help, what I was able to do is redefine myself, um, uh, kind of go through that transformation of saying, hey, we're starting from, from here and we're gonna start all over and we're gonna build and we're gonna try and we're not gonna be ashamed. We're gonna talk about it and um, let's, let's help somebody. So that was, that's my thing. And I love that because people need that. It's nice to feel seen and it's nice to know that someone else can can kind of give a glimpse of their world to make it easier for the next person to navigate their journey. So is your experiences that you had, especially in your youth, did that kind of lead you to working? Because I know you worked in the juvenile system for some time with youth and you're also a certified crisis instructor. So with that being said, did your passion, did it shift from sports to more so wanting to work in the advocacy and nonprofit space? Yeah, once I realized that I wasn't going to be a pro, it, <laughs> definitely, it definitely switched. You know, that's a, you got to find something else that you're passionate about and that you like. And um, I've had a lot of good experiences uh, working with inner city youth. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, guys and, 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 and gals that are, you know, come from the same place that I come from, maybe even, you know, rougher or whatnot, but um, helping them was like helping myself, you know, it was like that thing that, man, I wish I would have had somebody to help me, like, I want to help these kids when I was young, and I did have those, you know, kind of things around me, um, but uh, they were hard to find. Mm-hmm. And um, and being shy, you know, you don't, and, and going through um, trauma, you don't, you don't reach out always. You know, it takes it takes someone to bring it out. Um, I was able to have a therapist that was legally that was blind completely, and uh, I'll never forget his name. His name was Lloyd Demko, mm-hmm. and I went to him as a kid, and um, he helped me considerably because. Um, we, I knew he, I knew he didn't judge me, you know, and, and, and he knew who I was. He knew I was an African-American kid and, you know, I knew he was a white man and, you know, and, and we got the bond and we bonded over, um, him helping me talk about, uh, childhood abuse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was just, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a great experience. Uh, because I was able to, um, uh, I was able to, to voice it, you know, I was able to, to speak up about what I was going through 
the things that I hid from my mother, you know, and, um, you know, it, it, it's weird because um, as an adult right now, like maybe about a year or two ago, I actually sat down with my mother and talked to her about all the things that I was going through as a kid. Uh, it took me a long time, you know, it took me a lot of years, you know, and uh, she broke down and she blamed herself and she told me she was, you know, supposed to protect me and this and that. And, um, and she was a great woman. She is a great woman. And mm -hmm. It was just one of those things where, you know, the single parent household, it, it makes it for, you know, she had to work. So I had to go to grandma's. I got five uncles. A couple of them are different, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, so, yeah. I'm glad that you were able to have that conversation with her because like oh, talking to family or people, especially people who are connected to the abuser, if at all, that can be always, it can be a very stressed filled and arduous situation, different circumstances, but I have been through something similar and it's it's rough navigating that space but it's good that you were able to do that do you feel as if that gave you a little bit of closure so to speak yes. it definitely gave me a lot of closure because um just being able to speak to her about that you know was um it was the next step in our uh in our relationship you know it was something that she needed to know um but it was more for me um, never blamed her for one for one thing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it it was more for me because it it freed me, you know. Yeah, I talked to a therapist. Yeah, I talked to counselors. I talked to people. I talked to friends, but never talked to her about it. And her first response was, "I had no clue." And um, you know, just to have that conversation was definitely um, one of the highlights of my life because it just you know, it's like that, it's like a, a video on fast forward, you know, you go through everything that's happened to you in your life. And, you know, how did I not talk to my mother about this kind of stuff? You know, how, how does that happen? You know, the person that's supposed to be the closest to me, protect me, love me. How did that happen where we skipped all that, you know, and, um, and just to come full circle and be able to express it as an adult and have that oppor opportunity to do that is definitely um, a highlight of my life. I could imagine that it was. You, you've said something a couple different times, same thing in different ways, but you've said, you know, I didn't know who I was or I was trying to figure out who I am. So when you strip the titles away, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, writer, who are you now? Um, I'm trying to be the best father that I can be. I have kids and, uh, um, I've, I've been through a marriage where you know, been through a divorce and, um, I seen the impact that that had on, on one of my kids. And, um, so this part of my life is about being the best dad I can be and just, uh, uh, working hard and, um, uh, trying to help somebody live out, um, some passions. I'm here for it. <laughs> and just and just be kind, you know. Mm -hmm. I just want to be. I, I just want to be a, a kind, gentle, good soul that helps people, looks out for people, 
and that, that cares about humanity. Um, because I think right now what's happening in the world is that the, the sense of humanity is being lost and um, we need as many good people, as many people as we can that can, you know, continue to lift each other up, you know, and because my story might help you, your story might help me. Mm-hmm. And um, if we have the conversation, you know, um, that's how we have the dialogue. That's how we heal. Definitely. And when I was reading your bio, just to kind of dig a little bit deeper into that, you mentioned being able to navigate, having used navigating multiple spaces to talk to people from all walks of life. And I think that's such a key thing because a lot of times we stick to the groups where we feel safe. That's not a bad thing. And in a lot of situations, that's just better for our quality of life, depending on where we're located at. But a lot of times, if you don't meet people outside of your sphere, you sometimes lose the ability to connect and grow. So with that in mind and just kind of thinking about that a little bit you say you want to be a dedicated father you know you went through this marriage that taught you a lot of things and i want to kind of lead into your book with that in mind because the name of your book is 101 steps to a successful interracial relationship and fear led me to faith and that's coming out in later in 2022 so i gotta i gotta ask you that's that's a mouthful in a good way but you're looking at interracial relationships. You're also looking at your story and how it led you to faith. So breaking it down, what was the number one thing that you learned about being in an interracial relationship? From One of the main things is that um, you got to learn to listen, mm-hmm. uh, take the time to embrace someone else's culture. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my things is that we can never choose who we fall in love with. Um, uh, some people are fortunate to where, you know, it's a person that's got the same skin. Um, others, uh, you know, you go through trials and tribulations and you go through things that normal people or what people say is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you go through things that they don't go through. So um, my thing is uh, I've always been about diversity and um, I've always tried to understand everyone's culture. Um, as many groups of, of different people that I can. And uh, for me, that's the most important thing about a relationship is understanding um, the culture of another person. Understand, uh, try to understand where they came from, uh, who they are, what makes them tick. And, you know, understand that I've walked in this skin my whole life mm-hmm. and you've walked in that skin your whole life and we're different. And even though we're together, um, uh, we are different. And that's the beauty of, of life and the beauty of everything is that we're all different, but we're all the same. And uh, regardless of, of, of what you do and uh, what you embrace, uh, diversity is, is everything to me. It's, it's more important than I think a lot of people realize and and I think it's because people say the word. You hear it all the time now. But a lot of times it's performative diversity. It's done yeah. with some sort of self-serving interest at hand or trying to create a specific narrative of a story. 
instead of just kind of going for the raw gritty truth that sometimes can be beautiful and radiant but isn't always that way so what um outside of what interrelation interracial relationships taught you what is something that you would tell somebody going into an inter um interracial relationship these r's tripping me up today <laughs> oh yeah it's definitely one of those words that's a tongue tie but yeah what i would say is that uh um just you know learn mm-hmm. you know speak up don't keep it in um because a lot of times that conversation gets to the point where you know you have this uh wall that's happening where you're not speaking yes you're in love with each other and and you're and you're uh you know you're expressing that as best you can but um you have to open up all the the avenues of communication and and through those avenues and through communicating um you you understand each other better and um don't bug out when the family don't like you you know because the family ain't gonna like you I mean, whether it's... A, it does know, come up. <laughs> so, you know, family matters, you mm-hmm. know, and, and people are going to be like, uh, this person don't like me. It's going to happen, you know, and everybody's different. Um, but if you try to embrace, get them to understand who you are and try to get them to, um, to, to, to feel you, to love you, it's going to take time. Um, uh, but make sure it's something that you are really, really want to do, you know, and um, because there's a lot of um, interracial relationships that end bad. And um, sometimes it's, it ends bad because of family, you know, and they, people just can't take the outside forces of family saying, why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? You know, and um, you have to be able to, to be strong. You know, it, it takes strong people um, to be in, in that kind of relationship, whether you're in a relationship that is straight, uh, bi, transgender, mm-hmm. um, any kind of relationship that requires uh, a, a diverse group of people and that, de- that requires inclusion, it's going to be hard. It's not easy (laughs) it's not easy and there are issues that come up that you wouldn't even think about you know if you're dating somebody that's the same race as you i mean it's a possibility that you still might not get along with the family or you might clash with the (laughs) friends but there's a different kind of set of fears and just worries and concerns that can crop up with that just from experience the family thing is not fun (laughs) at all Oh, I've been through it. It's definitely, uh, you know, like I said, you have to be willing to go through that, you know. And if you're not willing to go through it, then maybe you should make a different decision. Um, But, you know, then again, it comes to that point, man, I'm in love with this person. And, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. So Mm -hmm. you got to go through it. You got to go through it. And um, sometimes that fire makes the relationship diamond like you know and it just makes it shine because you know people look back and they say man we've been through all this and then people come to you and say man y'all have been through a lot you know and and then you know you sit back and you think man we have been through some Mm -hmm. stuff and 
I've learned so much about you and me and black people and white people and different people. You know what I mean? So um, I want to, that, that's my thing. I, I, I want to, I want to learn about you. You know, I want to, I want to learn about the human being, the human side, the, 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 the good and the bad and, and just keep moving and, and chalk it up to saying, Hey, you know, that was a unique, a unique person. And I'm so glad that we had a conversation. So, yeah. And those relationships, the ones where you're able to truly be open and ask questions and be okay with being wrong, because whether you're in an interracial relationship or not, see, it happened again. (laughs) You you might, you're going to be wrong at times. And Oh, yeah. You're going to be wrong a lot of times. Yep. You know, Um, and then, you know, when you have, uh, kids involved too, you know, that's definitely a different step. And, um, some people have blended families, you know, where, you know, you have this person that had this whole nother life before you, and now they got kids by someone else and you have those kids involved and, you know, it's a tricky situation to navigate, but, um, as long as you stay loving, uh, passionate and understanding and, um, and caring, uh, and, and 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 let that learning aspect of life come out. You'll be fine. What about fear led you to faith? Well, um, it's definitely um, I I've read it probably five or six times total. Your manuscript, and, right? <laughs> and 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 I I you know I'm not trying to up my own work and you know. Which is, which is okay too, but I, I think it's very good um, because I think that I'm able to uh, tap into um, my earliest memories mm-hmm. and just getting of the things that I can remember as a child mm-hmm. and, and jot down those feelings. And I mean, it took me, it took me about seven, eight months to completely write it. Mm-hmm. And I'm at the editing phase now. And, um, uh, it, it definitely goes through my experiences with um, uh, relationships, with uh, addiction, um, with uh, working, um, with courage, with adversity, um, starting all over, um, and just, you know, basically... Um, trying to paint a clear picture of what it's like to be a young man trying to navigate the road of life and uh and just embracing it and just you know realizing you know that's the one thing about for me and my journey and that the book is about i'm able to um uh take those experiences and and smile at them um and, you know, those smiles didn't come overnight, you mm-hmm. know, definitely. It definitely was a process. But uh, me putting it down, it definitely uh, was very therapeutic and very open, eye-opening. Once I started reading it myself, it was kind of like, oh, man, this is good, you know. And uh, and like I said, my thing is the goal is to help somebody, you know, um, just to, you know, help someone that's struggling with, with uh, mental health, with, um, with addiction, um, with going through surgeries. I know you went through a surgery. Yep. I, didn't, 
I didn't been through three of them. It's definitely a road. And I didn't realize you went through three of them. <laughs> yeah, three. Well, I have, uh, so I have total hip replacement mm-hmm. on both sides. And I didn't know that uh, it was my hips. Um, from So I played tennis a lot in my life. Mm-hmm. And I played basketball and running, whatever. Um, but um, I always thought it was my knee hurting. And I went to the doctor and uh, he was like, you got zero cartilage in this hip and 3% in this hip. We got to do something about this. And um, he was like, well, you're the youngest person I've ever seen like this. And uh, so what that did is it got me, it gave me a chance to find out about my genetics. Mm-hmm. And that's why um, I was able to go through a couple of things. I went through ancestry mm-hmm. um, because I was like, man, I was like, man, why is this happening to me? And um Come to find out, my great-grandmother had that surgery. Mm-hmm. My, oh, not my great-grandmother, my grandmother and my mother had the same surgeries. So oh, wow. um, sometimes, sometimes our surgeries and, mm-hmm. and our health is uh, genetics too, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't take away what I've done to my body, you know, through, through sports and through um, addiction or anything like that. But, mm-hmm. um it definitely genetics played a huge part. So um, it took me. It, I did. I did my first hip, and then I did uh, the other one six months later, which was or six weeks later, which was fairly quick. That is very um, quick after. Yeah, yeah. So I know what it's like to go mm-hmm. through physical therapy, and you know. And uh, my thing is that through that process. Um, uh, I became addicted to opioids for for a small amount of time, mm-hmm. and uh, it was definitely a thing to where you know I was in so much pain that um, uh, that I that it just helped me get through the day. And through all that, mm-hmm. um, I still worked. I still worked full time. Mm-hmm. Um, I never stopped working, and it was just you know um, it got to that point where I was like, man, you know, I gotta do something. So, yeah. When did you realize that it was an issue? Did it just creep up on you or did you recognize it pretty quickly? As far as addiction is concerned. Okay. Well, yeah, for me it was uh you know, when you go to that when you see that doctor that's going to give you that stuff, um they always start off small. Mm-hmm. You know, they start off trying to you know only give you giving you a certain amount and then um uh, it's definitely to me, you know, I, I'm not bashing or anything like that, but it's definitely a game because I went from a small amount to a bigger amount. And then at that point, I'm instead of taking one every four hours, I'm taking two every four hours. And then, you know, all of a sudden I don't have any more and I want them, you know? And so I realized quickly because I've seen it happen in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I realized, um, uh, the addiction was happening, but how I rationalized it was was that I uh, was going to a doctor, and that um, I was just in so much pain that it was, you know, it was acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that happens within a lot of people is that they feel that as long as they're getting it legally and they have something wrong with them, um, that they feel like it's it's okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was able to identify it quickly, 
but I was I was so far in and I didn't want to stop working and I didn't want to stop the things that I was doing that it you know I just I tried to hide it mm-hmm. you know I tried to hide it and um, I was very successful at hiding it and then um, all of a sudden it just blew up in my face and um, that was when it was time to get help and have the surgery mm-hmm. because the pain wasn't going away you mm-hmm. know the, those pills could have went away but the pain was not going to go away and uh, I made a decision to have my surgeries and, and and after that it was uh, you know they still tried to give me some from the from the surgery you mm-hmm. know because it's the major surgery you know and, and they want you to have those pain pills and whatnot but um I was able to navigate through it. I'm glad you were able to. You're right. When you do, when you are getting the pills legally and you do have something wrong with you, people don't think of it in the same way necessarily until maybe other people start pointing it out or there's an event that happens that kind of snaps it into perspective. And I was reading something um, recently. It was a book. I can't remember which one. But in it, one of the characters um, had a daughter who became addicted to opiates and then it kind of became a gateway for other drugs. And in it, she kind of cited that it was, you know, the doctors at fault, like just giving her a prescription after prescription and not seeing that maybe she didn't need any more based off of what was going on. And I think it, you know, kind of from what you said briefly, where you said, you know, they go from a smaller dose to a higher dose. And in some cases, some people need that depending on what the situation is, but it can be a conduit to that. Definitely. Definitely advise anybody that's going through that situation to get help. You know, it's definitely, um, I know what it feels like. And it's definitely a thing that is, um, it, 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 it creates a, a certain amount of shame to, you know, and uh, because, you know, no one really, depending on who you are, mm-hmm. you don't want to be addicted to stuff. And um, uh, some people can handle it, but they just take one and that's what they do. And some people can't. Um, and I think sometimes that has to do with our personalities, our bodies, too. Um, uh, so I was I'm, I'm definitely an advocate of uh, uh, and I speak about it in my book, too, about um, what it took for me to um, to navigate, you know, that that opioid road because that's one of the toughest things I've been through um, as far as um, just going through the whole process of uh, of going through it and then and then when it's over, it's just not over right away. You go through a little um, withdrawal part where you you know you're not well for a few days and. You know, and it's definitely, um, it's definitely an experience that, you know, you don't want to go through twice, so. Did some work, like, with individuals going through recovery, and one of the biggest things that would get expressed is the shame, like, shame of people that they know, friends, family, colleagues, seeing them in that state, and it's, and it's rough, and, you know, I haven't. I don't think I could properly quantify this as me being an addict, but I remember my desire to stay away from opiates 
has been because addiction runs on both sides of my family. And I remember I was about 12, 13 years old. And, you know, I've always been a fluffy person. I've always been a big person for the most part. So I, um, I got an injury. Really, I think that, like, my ankle got sprained and nobody looked at it. My uncle, we just, we played sports. We played toss-up and tackle with the boys. And he was like, shake it off. You'll be all right. And right. he was like, I got some painkillers in there. And I started taking the painkillers as a, I was about 12, 13, because they made me throw up. And if I threw up, I didn't have to eat. And it was a way for me to lose weight as a teenager. Yeah. And it was something that only happened for a period of two to three weeks. And I remember telling my mom about it and she dumped him in the toilet but I remember being just hyper vigilant about not wanting to indulge too much, which sometimes will cause arguments with my doctor. Because I, I only take a medication if I absolutely need it. But I did feel shame. And it was something that I wouldn't tell people about for the longest time because it made me feel like something was wrong with me. Yeah. And that's... Uh... That's that's how it feels. I mean, that's a, that's a perfect expression because, you know, a lot of people they they feel that shame because, you know, once it's not hidden anymore. Because a lot of people, you know, they they navigate life and they're able to hide it. Mm -hmm. And um, once it's not hidden no more, you you develop a, a, a shameful attitude that takes a strong person to break through, and. Um, and sometimes, you know, you can get that help from talking to a friend or talking to someone you trust. Um, but in my experience, um, um, uh, the professional help definitely, um, definitely makes a difference. It made a difference in my life. Um, so that's why I'm here. And I, 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 that's why I'm an advocate for it. That's why I want to help is because um, I've been through it. So I know how it feels, but in going through it, I know that I can tell the next person to say, you know, um, you might be speaking to a friend, you might be talking to somebody, but if you can um, get some professional help from a mental health expert or a therapist, someone that has, you know, studied the, the physiological, the psychology, you know, the 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 things that go along with addiction. It's definitely an important journey that um, requires you to, to, to seek out the right people. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm happy to say that, you know, that's what leads to a, a, sober, a sober lifestyle. It definitely does help having that mental health professional there. And they're, they're not there to judge you. They're just there to help you and be an advocate for you. And realistically, n not all individuals are going to gel with you. Got to find somebody who works with your personality and your needs. But most definitely, what is one of the biggest untruths that you've just learned during your journey, whether it was in childhood, through recovery, um, just in general? Um, one of the biggest untruths is that you can't go forward, that you are going to uh, be stuck and there's nothing else. Um, I'm here to say that that's not true mm -hmm. uh, at all. 
people say that it's a day-to-day thing, you know, minute by minute, hour by hour. Yeah, it, it, that the journey does require that. But at the same time, um, you can live in a space to where uh, you forgive yourself, you forgive others, and you just keep moving forward. You keep pressing on. Um, uh, different techniques helps. One of the things that has, has helped me considerably is uh, meditation. Um, I like uh, I like oils. I like <laughs> incense. You know, I like learning about um, different crafts and different things that um, allow you to um, uh, get to the other side of, of life and just trying to figure out how you can um, be true to yourself. Because once you are able to be true to yourself, you can be true to others. And um, uh, that unbelief goes away, you know. You start believing in yourself again. You start building blocks. And you start climbing. And um, this process has been a, a, a long process for me. And I'm so grateful that I'm over to the other side to where I can speak about it, be honest about it. Um, because a lot of the things that I, that I speak of, um, some people can't speak about it. And, you know, I understand that because I was there. I was definitely there. I was totally ashamed of what I, 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 in my life, I wasn't supposed to make these kind of mistakes. Um, but those mistakes have made me a better person. It's made me a better man. Um, it's made me a kinder, gentler soul. Um, when that person makes a mistake and, and they are down in the dumps, I'm the person that can say, hey, you know, you can get up from that. You don't got to stay down there. You can get up and keep on going. So um, uh, the, the unbelief factor is, is all within you. And once you let that go, the world becomes great again and life becomes grand. It does. And I think sometimes people you kind of said it earlier how you thought that would never happen to you that wasn't a mistake that you were supposed to make and a lot of times people miss the fact that whether you come from a single parent household or a two-parent household or regardless of the kind of things that happen to you abuse and addiction is something that can happen to anyone and just any of those situations even health related situations you just never know and I think kind of thinking about it in that terms just reminds people that it's okay if you make a mistake and you are able to channel that into overcoming that mistake. And I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you exist and that (laughs) your voice is out there. What is your vision for what you want to do through your entrepreneurship, through um, all of the work that you're doing in the community as a whole? Well, uh, my vision is that, um, so I got an upcoming podcast that I'm going to be starting here uh, within a few months. Um, So um, I envision that my podcast is going to be about diversity Mm -hmm. and about uh, equality and inclusion and just um, uh, including everybody, no matter where they come from. So what I envision is to um, be able to um, cross the line and reach people of different races, creeds, colors, religions, um, uh, genders, 
um, everything that allows you to uh, understand that this is a very diverse world and that there's different people and that everybody deserves a seat at the table. And that's what I envision. And that's the route that I'm going to go. Um, if it's not including everybody, I don't really want no part of it. You know, that's my thing. So um, I'm here to say that regardless of who you are, what you believe and what you stand for, um, we are all human mm-hmm. and we are all different, uh, but we're all alike and we're all brothers and sisters, regardless of what we believe or uh, or do different things. And um, let's have a dialogue. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. Let's try to be cool with each other. And um, and that's one thing I admire about you is that. Well, thank you. Um, I, I admire I admire your frankness. I admire the podcast. I admire um, your movie reviews. And um, I definitely have read a few of the Devil's Advocates reviews. And, thank and, you. And I'm, there, there was a couple I was like, ah, oh, man, okay, well, I think I see something different. And then I was like that Texas Chainsaw Massacre one you did. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, it's spot on. Because I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I just like, I like, uh, how do you describe it? Like, I just like, um, I, I, I finished it. And I, I, I can't believe I finished it. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like, it was rough to get through. You ever watch a horror movie that's so bad it starts being good because it's just so ridiculous at that point? And I feel like that was one of those movies. Like, there's actually a lot of people out there that liked that movie, but I don't, but that's the beautiful thing. Like, even taking it back to diversity, you and I can watch a film and have a completely different idea about it. But the ability to talk about it and start a dialogue whether it's somebody writing back to me and being like hey i actually really like that even though you didn't i'm like okay tell me why you liked it and then we can talk about it so yeah definitely and it's i I mean go ahead i'm sorry (laughs) no you go ahead it's okay no and that i was just saying that uh it's um you know and i i admire you for who you are you know and um honored to be here i'm honored to be a guest um uh when i when i published the book and when i put it out i want you to be one of the first ones to to get it you gave me my first voice review of a podcast and i was so grateful for that i've listened to that so many times and just trying to pick out the little pieces um that would help me become a better host um a better guest mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, uh, I know that you're married and, um, I, I know that my book 101, uh, is uh, relevant. <laughs> I know, I know you enjoy it, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, because it comes with the steps, but it also comes with, a, a dialogue and a quote from, mm-hmm. uh, from me or from some other person that's famous and, um, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I love your style. I, I love what you stand for. And uh, I'm definitely a fan. So, yeah. Thank you. That really means a lot. I, nobody else has ever given me this many compliments on a podcast yeah. before. But I really appreciate yeah. it. And I just, 
you kind of said it. You said everybody deserves a seat at the table. And yeah. that's kind of how I felt with the podcast and with other people's podcasts. Like I want to meet and talk to people when I listen to your story and just how you have a passion for life. You know, realistically, and this isn't me dumbing down that of a motivational speaker, but nowadays a lot of people are a motivational speaker and, you know, they do it and it kind of feels like they're on, like they're robotic, like they're on automatic. But it, it was just nice to see someone who drew from these experiences and they had something fresh and new to give and they were just as open to receiving from the people that they were talking to in comparison to what they were giving. And that's, that's a beautiful thing to have. So Duke, I am excited that I listened to and commented on that post so that it brought us closer and we were able to have this conversation and have other conversations. So, and just thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure and you know it doesn't stop here. We'll talk again at some point in time. And you have to be a guest on my show. When my show comes out, you have to be a guest. Like I won't let you. I won't <laughs> let you go without being a guest. So um, I, I definitely want to have you as one of my first guests on my show. You already know I would be honored to be a guest. And as soon as you drop the episodes, I'll be spotlighting and sharing it out, and just. Y'all don't understand. This man has been an advocate. Every single thing that I share out, he reshares or posts or comments on. And, you know, I adore every single guest that has come on this show. But I've never, ever had a guest that has just been so eager to talk and converse and to give me additional information. Normally, when I have a guest on the show, this is behind the scenes information, y'all. It's important. (laughs) So, like... I spend a lot of time vetting every guest, learning about them, researching to learn more about things maybe I didn't know so that I can make their experience memorable. So just you made it very easy. <laughs> and I appreciate the, the the platform. I appreciate the, the format. I appreciate your life of diversity. So that kind of made it easy it makes it easier for me and it's not always easy you know but i tell you just the diverse life that you live and um the things that you stand for and the things that you do um it definitely made it easier for me Mm -hmm. um because i know that you worked with you work with people um in different organizations that allow you know ladies to speak up and um be safe Mm -hmm. and uh so I'm all about that. Um, I'm all about trying to help. And so I, I think that we're on that same plane yeah. at, 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 a cer- at a certain level. Mm-hmm. And um, you're definitely uh, inspirational to me. So I, I thank you. I thank you as well. And if people want to keep up with you for your new podcast and just kind of keeping up with the world that is Duke, where would they go to do that? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn uh, at Duke Lot, and then you can find me on Instagram um, at the Duke Lot and Facebook Duke Lot. And uh, my book is called uh, From Fear to Faith and um, 101 Successful Rules to a 
101 rules to a successful interracial relationship. See, I got tongue-tied a little bit myself, too. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, um, and also, I've been working on uh, this series. Uh, it's called uh, Lake Michigan Mysteries. Ooh. And it's in the mode, it's in the mode of uh, Michigan chillers. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never heard of chillers, but it's kind of like a, a teenage um uh, a futuristic book mm-hmm. and uh so um I, i've been working on that for a while and it's a series so I'm, I'm looking forward to that coming out in 23 but i'm gonna focus on getting these two books published and get them done um uh by midsummer and uh so yeah i'm just trying to uh get the message out um help somebody tell my story um motivate inspire and just keep it moving and you're doing a hell of a job and i will link all those links below so that people can keep up with you and support your mission and what you're doing and you are always welcome back and to everybody else until next time thank you to all of our listeners out there as always you are the most beloved and make all of this magic possible I hope that you all enjoyed this episode i really enjoyed talking to duke and i feel like There are a lot of nuances to what he talked about that don't always get covered, especially when as it relates to how men and boys are looked at in the black community and how there is this huge disparity between expressing yourself and having to contain all of that. But there's even more of a fear there and a fear of vulnerability specifically. It's hard to be someone who is black in white spaces and We have to go out of our way to express our emotions even less for fear of how we're going to be perceived or whether or not we're going to be perceived as a problem. And that's not just by our families, but that is sometimes by external parties as well. And I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but, you know, as we talked about it, I got to thinking in that aspect, that element of it kind of popped into my head. But let me know what you all thought of this particular podcast episode, and I will see you next time. And note that the Raindrop Corner podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all standard podcast streaming platforms. Take care.